0: Hi, this is Craig Welch, and you are listening to the Leaders Lounge podcast. This episode of the Leaders Lounge is part two of our talk with Mark Maypeace. And as with part one, I turn the mic over to my colleague, Larry Black. So Larry, what will our listeners have in store for them in part two? Thanks, Craig. In our first part, Mark and I talked about what it takes to lead a startup, but it's one thing to lead a company that you started and another to lead an existing organization like Wilshire has its own culture and legacy. In this second part of our conversation, we talk about the importance of respecting people's talent and listening to them before taking them on what Mark calls a journey of success, a journey that people will follow. Let's just talk quickly about FTSE for Good, which was launched way back in 2003. You and Roger Moore of James Bond fame, yes. listeners are gonna to have to read the book to get the reference. <laughs> uh, we're way ahead of the market with Footsie for Good.
1: We were way ahead of the market. And then you're right, it was Roger Moore. Roger Moore came up with the idea. He was doing some work helping raise money for UNICEF. And Roger Moore was an ambassador for UNICEF. And he and I, we did a number of tours in Africa and other countries. And I organized an event of fund managers, and I believe it was in Switzerland, I think, either Zurich or Geneva. And Roger was our after-dinner speaker. I gave a speech. Roger gave a speech. It all seemed to go very well. We raised money for UNICEF. At the end of the event, he and I were sitting at an empty table together. And I think we had a glass of brandy each, and he pulled out a couple of big cigars, which we shared. (laughs) And he then challenged me. He said, look, Mark, he said, you know, I really think you can do something for UNICEF and you create these indices. Why can't you create an index of just the good companies? And the money you make from that, you can give to UNICEF. And it seemed so simple at the time. And I thought, what a great idea. What a great idea. And so I took that away and got experts together to try and tell me what a good company was. And I think that took us a lot longer to define than we originally thought.
0: Well, here's a question for you leading on from that. Why didn't FTSE end up owning ESG Investing, given your head start?
1: It was because at the time, we were a private company. It was a partnership between the FT and the London Stock Exchange, and we weren't able to acquire some of the ESG data companies, which is what we needed to do. So we partnered. We partnered first with Iris, uh, and we partnered with KLD. And in fact, we were still partnering with KLD when MSCI bought KLD. Now, I would have loved to have acquired both Iris and KLD, but it just simply wasn't possible before the London Stock Exchange bought out the Financial Times. Because if we had been able to do that, I think we would be the de facto ESG standard. We would have become that. But we had to collaborate and partner. So in many ways, we were taking our ideas and innovation and we were sharing that. Uh, Not necessarily a bad thing. We were sharing that in the market. But at times, we couldn't put the capital and the investment behind it to ensure that we gained a clear advantage. So often we found six, nine months after we introduced a new idea that it was being copied. Uh, And therefore, we just had to keep moving on to the next idea. Maybe that created a style and a culture at FTSE that enabled it to grow during those sort of mid years before we were eventually bought out by the London Stock Exchange.
0: Well, that's a good segue into a few final questions on FTSE before we talk a bit about Wilshire. You and many others have predicted that the US and China ultimately are going to represent two thirds of global markets and leads us to think about markets like Japan and the UK and even Europe. So that's a roundabout way of asking about the impact of Brexit and the future of the City of London and ultimately the future of FTSE Russell within its own market. Yeah.
1: But I, I, think, you know, I think this is such an exciting time because there's different trends going on in the market and some of them complement each other and some of them clash. So there is a trend towards globalisation and that continues. But there is also a trend towards geopolitical and national interests And that challenges that. And you're seeing that at the moment between the US and China, but you're seeing it also through Brexit. And in a way, that slows down some of the globalisation. But it's also reminding us that in this world of change, there are parts of society that are being left behind, and that is causing some political friction. And that will result in trade friction, which slows down economic growth and is not in the interests of investors or workers in various ways. So you've got those trends, and they're going to continue, I would suspect, for a while. But you've also got the trend of technology. And we've seen through COVID how the technology companies have taken off, but also how the adoption of new technologies has sped up. And this new digital world, which we're embracing so much quicker, Now is changing things and it changes the dynamics of business. And if you think of indexation today, I keep explaining that the indexer sits in the middle of this network where it collects all the data and it has this spider web where if you want a new index, you've got to work with that big spider in the middle who will then create this new index for you which you can use. But he's keeping control of all that data and His network and his distribution all adds to his ability to, in many ways, create barriers to other competition. Well, in this new world of technology, actually, yes, the data becomes important, but it just creates the building blocks. The technology puts the tools for change and choice with the end investor and the intermediary servicing the end investor. So, suddenly, I think the winners will be those who are going to adapt to this new world where they're not trying to control everything. What they're trying to do is enable choice with that end investor. That's the first really big change. Now, that will go across the asset classes because more and more data becomes available for valuing not just equities and fixed income, but other asset classes. And we will see more and more of these assets in digital form. Now, we talk about cryptocurrencies, we talk about digital assets. We're really only at the beginning there. But if you can digitalize assets, and it looks like bonds are being the first to be digitalized, then you can start to have investments that are very different. You could have a bond which exists on the whole of a company. You can have a bond that relates to a particular revenue stream. So, suddenly digital assets creates a new investment world. So, I do think it's just a very exciting period of change. And uh, I'm you know, really looking forward to it. I think the next five, 10 years are going to be absolutely fascinating.
0: It does leave Brexit a little bit in the dust, right? In terms of long term impact on the world economy.
1: Brexit will almost become irrelevant because yep. I think people will have to look through it. And if there's a little bit more trade friction, in Europe, you just have to find ways around that. And it doesn't mean you have to move your production plant from the UK to France. It probably means actually in 10 years' time, you're thinking of production in a different way. So I think it's just another one of those changes we've got to work our way around. I think the challenge for the UK is it needs talent. And anything it does to block talent coming into the country Will be a bad thing. Uh-huh. So it's really if they use Brexit to bring more and more talent in, then the country will do very well. If they use it to exclude people and exclude talent, then everyone suffers. But I think Brexit hopefully will look back and we'll say largely it's irrelevant.
0: Interesting. Just to wrap up, you do have a long history with the London Stock Exchange and with Elseg. Obviously, it was critical at the beginning of your career and critical to financing some of the growth of FTSE, but I did want to ask you how a relationship with a stock exchange could get in the way and could hinder progress.
1: I think the stock exchanges at the beginning, career were very different animals. I think exchanges today are becoming really financial infrastructure companies, and that includes data, but they're becoming financial infrastructure companies and they're becoming global companies with global reach and therefore there's a bit of friction between their origins where they were very much a national institute to one which is trying to be a global financial infrastructure player but there's no doubt about it they will continue to move in the direction of becoming financial infrastructure players and they will all change shape and probably you'll find in a number of years there servicing different parts of the infrastructure so may or may not be competing across the range of what they provide so i think that world is changing it is changing and i certainly i look back to my years the stock exchange and they've been fantastic uh, i wish everyone there well but I, I think as part of my career i've always tried to look forward never to look back but to look forward and as i said i think there's a very exciting world ahead I think the investment landscape and the investment world will change enormously. And I'm looking forward to playing a part in that.
0: This week, Mark, you've started at what is now called Wilshire. I understand the firm has dropped the Associates, the Los Angeles-based asset management firm that we talked about. This is the home of the Wilshire 5000, among other things. So I guess the question is, Mark, you just couldn't stay away from this business. What brings you back right. into asset management? I think we have an idea from all the conversation we've had. And I guess the other question is, when are you moving to L.A.? <laughs>
1: I'd love to. Well, I will obviously be spending much more time in L.A., but Wilshire to me is a global company, and therefore the same as FTSE. It was my time at FTSE. I spent my time evenly spread around the world. I think it will probably be the same. But I think Wilshire is a fantastic brand. I think it's got such great depth of talent, And I think it's an honour to be able to take what is a company that was an innovator in its time and to really inject some fresh blood and fresh thinking in there and return it to the former glory. But it's a company that has enormous potential, and I think it's sitting in an industry which will change radically, and it has an ability to influence in a good and positive way how both institutional and retail investors can benefit from and adapt to the changes in the markets that are inevitably going to happen over the next five, 10 years.
0: Before we get into your plans for Wilshire, can you talk a little bit about the challenges you're going to face leading an existing organization rather than one that you started yourself?
1: I, th- I think the challenge to me is always that when you start something up and it's tiny and small, it is a very personal thing. As I grew Footsee, we did a number of acquisitions. And when you acquire a company and you have to integrate that company into the existing company, there's a number of things I think you have to do. First of all, you have to respect the talent and the culture that exists within the company you've acquired or the company you've stepped into. You have to look at it and you have to listen to the people. And first of all, you've got to get clear in your head all the good things that you want to retain. And it's only after you've done that do you start to think about, okay, what are the small changes that can lead to improvement? And how do I take people on a journey? A journey of success and a journey in a direction that people will follow. Creating that vision, which becomes a shared vision, and creating the strategy to get there and again, it has to be a shared strategy is what's important. But you start from respecting what exists. Yeah. You can't wish that things were in some other way. You've got to respect what's there. Therefore, you've got to properly understand it and you've got to listen to people. But I think Wilshire, the people are so talented, very knowledgeable. They have excellent relationships with their clients that go back often 20, 25 years. Mm -hmm. And the response we've had from the clients has been overwhelmingly positive. So that's telling me, hopefully, we're doing that first part of listening, but also starting to create a vision that the clients, as well as the staff, believe in.
0: I'd like to get into the vision a bit in a second, but can you talk big picture about where you feel Wilshire fits into the big future of investing and finance, where does it sit strategically in the world right now?
1: At the heart, organizations like Wilshire are trying to, through their advice and their analysis, they're trying to help investors make better investment decisions and to be able to have better investment outcomes. It really comes down as simple as that. And then it is looking back at the consultancy side, the advisory side, and how can you constantly improve those outcomes and that advice for the clients? And that's what we're focused on. And that's across a range. A range of employee active, both public and private markets across the asset classes. And I, I think today it's the asset allocation probably is one of the most important decisions uh, and has the biggest impact on long-term returns. And I think Wilshire really sits at the heart and has a very long tradition of doing that incredibly well. And I think that's where we start from. And, and that's an incredibly strong base to build on.
0: Is there something unique about this set of businesses? It's an unusual, to my mind, combination of being a consulting firm, a fund management firm, index and analytics, private markets, certainly being from an index provider, having this access to advisors and consumers through the institutional relationships you have is so exciting.
1: It's unique. And I think it brings together all these elements. But if you think about it, the data the analytics, the benchmarks, the consultancy, the ability to analyze the active managers and give advice as to where people can invest and should invest. I think it's unique. And it goes, as I said, across all the asset classes, and more importantly, not just public markets, but private markets. And we shouldn't forget, private markets have become a bigger and bigger part of investment portfolios. And I think that, Trend is continuing because when money is cheap, interest rates, then many of these private companies are finding the backing so that they can stay private longer and become more valuable. And because technology is driving so much change in the markets across all sectors, you're finding the private markets is an area where there's huge investment potential. And therefore, I think Wilshire can rightfully plays across all of those segments of the market, and it's a great place to be. And I think it's a company that really it hasn't had access to the investment over the last 10 years or so. And I think by putting in that investment, then we will see a company flourish and, and bloom like it did in the early days.
0: Interesting. What's your thoughts about where the firm should go with regard to end investors, to the advisor market and end investors? Is part of the mission here got to do with direct indexing or personal benchmarks and really bringing the power of indexation and passive investment to the mass of end investors? Is that part of the the vision?
1: I think it's to bring all the choices. the, The passive and, as you described, direct investing plus active choices. I think it's bring all of those to the end investors. So the institutional investor, you can go direct. But to the retail, I think the retail, you you do need to go through the various intermediaries because the advice that comes from those intermediaries is very, very important. Uh, And therefore, servicing the intermediaries so that they can continue to advise those high net worth individuals and the wider retail market is the strategy is not to go around them, but to work with them. And I think having the Wilshire name on products and on advice and having the Wilshire name stand behind some of these investment approaches, I think is incredibly strong. And I think many, many uh, of the intermediaries, not just in the US but around the world, will find that very supportive to to their growth and their um, growth strategies.
0: We've talked a lot through this about the importance of technology and the opportunities technology creates for our business. Obviously, having private equity owners that are specialists in financial technology is going to be important to you. But can we talk a little bit about the threat on the other side? Again, Donald Bryden, to go back to his really interesting foreword, talks about data wars and about how important technology and data are going to be. Is there a threat to our industry from the large technology giants? I'm thinking about the Silicon Valley guys for years. We've been talking about when is Google going to come in and eat our lunch, right?
1: I think everything that benefits the end investor should be welcomed. And therefore, whether that comes from the Googles and the Amazons or whether that comes from the existing players. But uh, I think that you, you have the investment knowledge and experience that sits with existing players. And Wilshire is one of those existing players. What Googles and the Amazons have is the technology. Really, you want to bring those two things together. And I think we have that combination because with Motive Partners, they are a specialist PE house, and many of them coming out of Capco. They have a real deep understanding and knowledge of technology. And I think they are essential to our future success. But Wilshire has the sort of investment knowledge, and it's had that for many, many years. I think what we're bringing is the technology side and also the data and benchmarking side to make Wilshire more complete, you yep. know, the complete animal. And I think that will be very exciting. And I think the clients and the intermediaries we serve are very excited about that. And they're certainly calling in and, and wanting to talk about the plans and to be part of the plans. Yeah,
0: It seems pretty clear that some form of digitally enabled asset management Is going to be a trillion-dollar business one day, and and seems to be no reason why one of our firms can't get there first before the Apples and the Googles and the.
1: And it's a global business, and the opportunity is there. And I do think it's those with this new mindset are the best position to take that. But they do need the knowledge and skills that exist today. You know, I don't think just a technology firm could do this. I think it's the combination of knowledge, investment knowledge and skill sets together with the technology and the data um, uh, knowledge and skill sets. Putting those things together is what makes this very exciting.
0: Well, I think that wraps up our time, unfortunately, Mark. I had a million other questions, as you can probably imagine, but you have a business to run. So I want to thank you again for taking the time to speak to us today. I will put in one final shameless plug for Mark's book, FTSE, The Inside Story. If we've done nothing else in this podcast, I hope people come away with a real understanding of how central indexing is to the future of our investment management world. And I think I can say no one is a better guide to this world than Mark. So
1: thank you again. Thank you, Larry. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Leaders Lounge podcast. For more insights from industry leaders about overcoming challenges and realizing success, times of change
1: and uncertainty, please go to blackmosspartners.com.